This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Today's title of my message is this, Stained Glass Lives, Stained Glass Lives. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. And he says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. I'd like to equate the clay jars with stained glass today. Both are true. We are not the source of the light. The light shines through us so that God gets the glory. But the stained glass and the Clay jars both apply to ourselves as individuals because Paul says there's light, there's a treasure inside of you that's not meant to be contained within you. And our ability to receive the grace and light of Jesus moves the light outward. Our ordinary, fragile clay jars or stained glass stories can become a beautiful beacon of hope to those that are around us. But we have to deal with the fragile, imperfect, and broken in order to ever see that happen. And when the light shines through, the weakness or the imperfection illuminates those who are in darkness. So what does your story, your stained glass story look like? If you were to really show who you really are, you know, sometimes in this day and age, all we are is in the Instagram area showing the perfect picture. So we want to take a picture, take another picture, take another picture. And then we want to edit that picture. We want to edit out the imperfections and show the world a perfect picture. But did you know in the church, no perfect people are allowed? In fact, it says in this text, essentially, that the imperfections are what God shines through. It's not our perfections. It's our imperfections. He actually utilizes those things that maybe we don't want to talk about. So perhaps you've got a story in your backdrop where you don't want to share things with people. Maybe you're ashamed of a failure in your story. Or perhaps you're not good at something. Or perhaps you're not wealthy enough. Or perhaps you don't have a job. Or perhaps you don't have the right kind of job. Or perhaps you're divorced. Or perhaps you're a single parent. And there are things about your story that you, you don't want to share with people. But I want you to hear today that the gospel is true, that when we seek the light and the light goes in us, God will use the imperfections to show his glory to people around you. It's actually our weaknesses that are his source to tell the story. God shows his light through our weaknesses if we let the light shine. Can I get an amen to that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, each time he said, Jesus said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Jesus' light shines best when we're humble. You see, humility is that next step. We have weakness, but humility says I'm willing to acknowledge it. 
I'm willing not to hide it. I'm willing to humble myself. And that's how he shines his light through us best. 2 Corinthians 3.16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. He says, reflect. Everybody said reflect. When I think about reflection, um, reflection does a lot of things. So light reflecting off of something um, has an impact in other spaces. So he says we reflect it. He's not talking about us being popular or admired or on the stage. He's not saying let the light reflect off of me. A pastor that takes the glory to himself is not a good pastor. That's not real. I should reflect the glory of God back to him. Our founding pastor used to talk about deflected to Jesus, deflected to Jesus. And I agree with that. But what is he talking about reflecting the glory of God? It's moving from being noticed, admired, and popular to something else, to letting the light shine somewhere else. In fact, it's moving from a mere perspective. So a mere perspective thing is I think of myself. I look at myself. I like myself. Did you know the word narcissist? comes from an ancient Greek uh, legend or myth about a, a boy named Narcissus that found his image and a reflection in the water and he fell in love with it. And he embraced it, he fell into it. Well, I think today we've got narcissists, only this might not be a mirror, it might be a camera <laughs> doing a selfie, right? And, and uh, we're into ourselves, our own self story, our own branding, we think about ourselves. This is not the reflection that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about reflecting yourself. No, he's talking about reflecting like stained glass as a story for other people. And there is pride in the mirror that only shines a light on yourself. Humility is a beautiful color for Jesus' light to shine through us, though. And so if we can learn to humble ourselves and let the light shine on, let, let the light shine on others, then that's when we'll see the stained glass story come out in others. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus goes and he's going to feed the 5,000. It's actually 5,000 plus women and children. So it could have been fifteen to 20,000 people. And all they had was bread and fish. And this is in Luke 9. That Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. So Jesus was displaying something as a model for his disciples. Let me, let me teach you a little something here, okay? When Jesus was teaching the crowd, he was doing more than one thing. He was also discipling or mentoring his disciples. He was showing them the path they were going to take. You know, Jesus would die at some point. He'd be resurrected and ascend to heaven. And then the mission would be in the disciples' hands. So every lesson that Jesus taught them through the Gospels meant more later on when they were when he was gone and they were on their own and one of the lessons he talked to them about and to them about and displayed to them was brokenness you see brokenness was a big deal and you'll see what he does with the bread here in a second but think about the bread bread was a metaphor that Jesus used about himself that he intended his disciples to also use for themselves he said I am the bread of life 
He said, he said on, the, on the night of his betrayal, on the Last Supper, take this bread. This is my body broken for you. And so bread became a metaphor for brokenness in the person's life. Jesus gave up himself. He was the bread of life for others. So as he did it, he did four things with the bread in this story. He took the bread. I mean, no, he takes us. I mean, thankful Jesus took you, saved you, went after you. He blessed the bread. How many are thankful his blessing, his smile on your life? He brings things. You don't deserve it, but he still provides hope, and he provides for your story. He's Jehovah Jireh. But then he breaks the bread. He breaks the bread. Breaking the bread produces the multiplication miracle. And breaking uh, and, and humility and the brokenness of the believer releases his light into darkness the same way. So what he did is he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave it away. He multiplied. Those four things are the things that he was teaching his disciples. And if you look at the New Testament church, sure enough, later on, they went through brokenness. They had persecution. Some of them were jailed. Some of them were murdered. You go to Hebrews 11, you'll see this great grandstand of heroes of faith who lost their lives, went through brokenness, but in their losing of their life, light was spread into darkness. You see, anytime there's biblical brokenness, it leads to life for somebody else. When you're feeling sorry for yourself, this isn't envy, um, this is not some kind of feeling sorry for yourself and you're a victim or anything like that. No, it's a different kind of brokenness. In fact, brokenness begins in the heart. Psalm 51, 17, the psalmist said, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. See, a broken spirit is not that victim it's not false humility or a pity party. It's a wild horse coming under bit and bridle. It's a wild horse, all its strength, willing to channel that strength the way that they're supposed to. It's a willingness to say, as Jesus did to his father, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. That's brokenness. And brokenness for the mature believer is surrendering anything that any, everyone else seems to have but you're making room for God's best. It's the ability to recognize I could do this, but I'm stubborn and I'm gonna take my stubbornness to the Lord. Anybody here stubborn ever? And being willing to say yes, Lord, to things that you don't have to. That's what humility and brokenness is. Biblical brokenness is saying, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours will be on. I'm soft clay, mold me into the place that you want me to be. Some people, this is what it looks like. Perhaps you find yourself in a place where in your stained glass store, you're ashamed of your financial debt. You're overwhelmed by financial issues. And some of that might be because you've misspent, you've borrowed, and your debt is really high, and you just made poor decisions. And now it's so big, you don't know what to do with it. It's overwhelming, and you feel the shame of it. Well, biblical brokenness is to not hide that anymore, but to bring it into the light and say, I'm gonna do something about that. God has given me the steering wheel. I can make decisions. I can bring changes in. And you know what you can do if that's you? You could actually sign up for Financial Peace University They're starting in a couple weeks here right at Emmanuel. You can sign up on our website right now or through our app. Go to it, find it. Financial Peace University, that's a step of bringing that shame thing into the light. And when you do, listen, in the last couple of years, we've had several people eliminate over $100,000 of debt in their own family. 
Isn't that powerful? Well, you know what happens on the other side when you do that submission route and you surrender to Christ? Now all of a sudden the light shines through you and you become a, a compelling picture to others who are in the darkness. Now all of a sudden you get to tell your testimony and share how Jesus brought you out of darkness and into his light. Come on somebody, isn't that good? I believe that that's really what we're talking about with brokenness. Or for me, I had to learn to uh, deny the fact that, uh, that I, uh, I wasn't Superman. In fact, Jody wrote a poem about this at one point. I am not Superman. Um, when I was younger, in my 20s and 30s, I did everything with my time. I, I tried to do everything. I was, at, I was a coach for my kids' teams. I did uh, education. I did my master's degree, my, my doctoral process. I, I, was, I was always doing things. I was speaking. I was traveling. And I just didn't sleep that much. It was three to five hours a night at the most. And I remember that I kind of prided myself on that. And I was so busy and so full. You know what that happens as you add kids to the family? You know, busyness changes. It used to be that I would come home from work and be able to relax a little bit and have a conversation with my wife. But then we had one kid and then two kids. And then once we went to three kids, it was zone defense for Jody and I. It was no longer man-to-man. And then we had four kids. And at the end of the day, i come home and each one wanted my attention and my time. And I would give it to them. By the time I hit the end of the day, when did I have time to hear the whisper of the Lord? And when did I have time to... To, to really pay attention to myself. And I, if I had listened, the Holy Spirit was warning me that I, I was living my life to the edges. Or as my dad and mom used to say, you're burning the candle at both ends. And that's what I was doing. And I remember in my first year, I just left a youth pastor at Emmanuel. And then I was my first year working at North Central University. I was teaching and I was traveling, doing a grad program. And I wasn't sleeping very much. And I had a grandma seizure out in Michigan on a ministry trip where I was going to preach, right in a Walmart, went down on the ground. Ambulance comes, takes me to the hospital, I'd been unconscious, and I remember coming to, and my first instinct was to be a victim or to blame somebody else. Because I started saying to myself, my new job is killing me. And right then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, no one else is responsible for your schedule but you. You'll stand alone before me someday. It was as if God was arresting me. Put me in handcuffs, Lord. And I remember over the next two weeks I went through testing and Jody and I sat down with the neurologist and the neurologist said, hey, listen, the the reason this whole thing happened is because you, you have a seizure threshold and it's like the banks of a river. And when the stress and lack of sleep lowered the banks over time and eventually the river spilled over. And she said, for the rest of your life, you need to have at least seven hours of sleep. And I said out loud, that much? That's how sick or stubborn I was. She was asking me to change. And really, that's what biblical brokenness is, learning to change. I had to learn to change my lifestyle to follow the way God wanted me to be, or else I would pay the price for it. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And by the way, what's the difference between hope and despair? Eight hours of sleep. It's the truth. If you're run down, that'll, that'll affect you. See, brokenness is being always ready to change at any time so that the light can shine through you. And remaining available to God's changes produces humility and light. We need to be just like Jesus was. And not only to the people that we like, but humility is best seen in how we handle our enemies. Uh-oh. People who we disagree with. I think 2020 and 2021 prove that we have a triggered generation. Come on. 
anything triggers people. You see a statement, hear something, hear the news of something, and all of a sudden offended people come out. And we're calling people out. We're angry. Our blood pressure is going up. And it's not healthy. And it's affecting us. And it's because we've spoken too quick. And the Bible talks about humility in a specific way. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. How about, I think we should memorize that. Hello? Slow to speak. Turn the person next to you and say, be slow to speak. And then the other person can say, speak for yourself. (laughs) We need to be quick to listen. Listening. You know, uh, I sent out a congregational letter last week. And in there I talked about our word for the year at Emmanuel. And the word is listen. To listen. I really feel like God dropped that in my heart for us. And we need to learn to listen to three things. The first thing that we need to listen to is to listen to God. I think that we need to make it a regular pattern for us to listen for his voice. Not just ask him to rescue us when we're in trouble and we've done our own plans. But to let the Lord order our steps and to follow his direction, to listen to his voice every day. Listen, there's never been a time like right now that we as believers need to listen to his voice. So that we're ready to give his answer in our time of need. So we know how to respond to the news of the, of the day or the changes in a pandemic. We need to be encouraged regularly by what God is saying to us. And if we do, I believe he will help us. We also, secondly, need to be able to listen to each other. You know, the body needs each other. We need each other, especially right now. And listen, that doesn't mean we're perfect people. In fact, we're full of imperfect people in the church. No perfect people allowed here. Sorry. Actually, we all have our backstories. We've come from different places. Some of us grew up in a great uh, home and others didn't. Maybe we got trained and others didn't. And even those of us that grew up in a great home, sometimes we made stupid decisions, right? So we're all imperfect people. Well, when imperfect people come to the church and they bring their imperfections, their weaknesses, their failures, they're not all the way there yet. They're not a fully discipled individual yet. When they come to church, they need to have relationship with other believers. They need to be connected to other people. That means that you're going to rub shoulders with other imperfect people. And we need that. Iron sharpens iron. We need to help each other. Each body part helping the other body part. And when we do, we better not be so self-focused and so self-righteous that we look down our nose at somebody else. Amen? But that there's a room, a grace, a mercy, if you will, that allows others to be imperfect around us. Because when we do that, that's how people change. Then when you're serving with each other on Team Emmanuel, you're in a connect group with somebody else. And you begin to notice that somebody else doesn't get angry at the same things you do. That they respond differently. That you learn from those people. That you experience their life. And we transfer our growth to each other. But if we have a light that only wants to point out the darkness in somebody else, nothing ever changes. We actually have to learn to listen to other people in order for the light to actually reach them. Have you ever had somebody that you don't even know them and they want to tell you the rules? And they want to point out all the bad things about you and they want to show you where you're wrong? You're not going to listen to them, are you? You're not going to open the door of your heart to them. 
No, you're not even going to receive the light that they might have. But if somebody wants to listen to your story and they ask about you, now all of a sudden you drop your guard because of their humility and their willingness to listen to you. Now you receive their light. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? So even on the level of relationship, we need each other and we need to listen to each other. We need to listen not just for information, but for where that person is and what they're really asking Back in the, in the early 2000s, uh, after Jody and I had uh, changed our role, I was no longer pastor, youth pastor at the church, and I went to work at North Central University, there was a time in our church's story where we had Sunday evening services. And uh, during Sunday church, uh, we would come in the morning, and we'd come back for nighttime. So two sermons on Sunday, but it was really about the altars and the spiritual experience. And a lot of times it was just the people that were really hungry came back on Sunday night. So we came back on a Sunday night, and we came in a little bit late on Sunday. In fact, we came in, and we were somewhere over here. I'm going to go rogue on you TV people, all you camera people. And I, 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 I was somewhere over in this section, right? And Jody and I came in, and the whole room was worshiping God, right? They're worshiping God. Hands are up. Everybody's worshiping God and they're singing, your love is extravagant and uh, your friendship, mm, intimate. And so we're worshiping. I'm on the end of the row somewhere about here and my boys are here and Jody's there and, and I'm worshiping Jesus. And uh, I didn't know this, but the, the kids were bothering their mom while, while the singing was going on. They're asking questions. So Jody told David, just sit down and write out your question. So he pulls out an offering envelope and begins to ask his question. And I'm worshiping, not knowing that this is going on. And then all of a sudden, I get this tap on my shoulder. And uh, it's Jody. And she says, you, okay. So I looked down, and David had asked a question. He had written, what's sex? <laughs> I go back into praying in tongues and asking for interpretation Revelation from the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Lord, help me, right? And then I looked a little bit later, and he had finished what he was writing. He wrote, what's extravagant? <laughs> he had seen the word on the screen. He didn't know what it meant. And that whole time, I was preparing to answer a question he wasn't asking. <laughs> you know how many times we get into conversations with people we're not really listening to them, and we're answering questions they're not asking. Parents with their kids, spouses, we need to learn to listen to each other. That's an act of humility that brings light into a soul. And then we need to listen to the people around us. I want you to consider the people outside the church who maybe they don't understand us or maybe they know a little bit about our theology or whatever it is, right from wrong or what we believe. And in this day and age, it seems to be growing darker and darker outside the church. But if all we do is point the finger at people and we've got three coming back at ourselves and we never take the time to actually listen to people's stories and all we do is argue about their politics or what they think about something, we aren't really getting to the individual. The best thing that a church can do is to pause and listen to each other. Can I get an amen to that? To hear their story, and in so doing, they open the door up for the light to shine in. Listen to the people around us. And instead of canceling, listen. 
Because the imago Dei in another individual is reason enough to listen, to listen to where they are. And when you humbly listen and value others, the light will shine in. It's not your rightness that will convince people of the light. It's your humility in the face of opposition. Consistent, faithful, humble lights become attractive to those who are in darkness. Jesus said this of you. He said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He says, you're the light, but don't hide it. Let it get out. It's not the loud voices that people receive as light. They're not going to listen to that. It's the quiet, consistent, and humble and faithful individual that lives it out and cares for the story in another. That's the stained glass. Humility doesn't hide imperfection. It shows confidence in the grace that we live with and light is released. We can share light by listening. So what's your story? What's your imperfection? Let the light shine through you in stained glass living. Let brokenness lead you to love those who are in darkness. And when we listen and we love, the story becomes beautiful in the whole church. We become a colorful mosaic of stories. I love Mark chapter 11 where Jesus walks into the temple and he starts kicking over tables. And you think, well, why is he having a fit? What's going on there? Well, he quotes from a, a chapter in Isaiah when he says that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And basically what he was running into in that moment is he walked into the temple and the outer courts of the temple was to be a place where people from every nation could come. Anyone that was not a Jew could come. Any skin color, any nationality, any language, you could come from all over the world, any socioeconomic, come to the temple and you could worship. But when Jesus walked in, in that, that place where there was supposed to be space for those that were not Jewish to come in, he saw tables set up. And he was mad and he began to remove those tables because he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And this is what rivets me, church, when I think about the stained glass life of our church. No, we don't have stained glass outside to the world on outside of our buildings, but we have thousands of people that are portraits of Jesus' story through us to the world around us. And they better see that this is his house. And in his house, you can come from any background. You can come from any socioeconomic status. You can come from any skin color. You can come from any language background. And when you're a part of the house of God and you get to see what your pastor sees on a Sunday, when I see people from every continent on the planet, when I see the different language groups and the, the different uh, uh, apparel that people wear, when I see different socioeconomic statuses, and I know you're from different cities and different housing situations and different careers, when I know you're from all of those backgrounds, what I see is a mosaic of stained glass windows that God is putting together to shine his light through to the world that's around you. Come on, somebody. That's what I see. And when we're in community together, his light with us grows us, and our light grows stronger, and it makes a difference in the world around us. Mosaics of stories, faithful people, unfaithful people becoming faithful people, 
struggles and trials turning into another stained glass story. And today, what if we all made it our goal to live a stained glass life with Jesus' light reflecting through us? What would your marriage look like? What would it feel like to be in your house for your kids? What would it feel like to work with you? What if we made it our goal to listen, to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to listen to each other, to truly listen, to listen to people outside of our circle and hear the words of their heart? Can you see it with me, church? Can you see a church of ordinary people in ordinary jars of clay, all of us living it in such a way that we intentionally let the light of Jesus shine through our lives? People who won't take the bait of being offended will push past the labels and listen to the sacred story of ordinary people that God is calling out of darkness and into his light. And because we are secure in Jesus and mature enough to absorb other people's issues, God begins to heal wounded hearts over time. We become a healing church, a church that lets its light shine. Can I get an amen? Why don't you stand with me today as I conclude? Today, I know this. I know that his light is shining and wants to shine in and through us. You came to church, and I don't know everybody's story, but I know that I know that every one of us matters. You were made in God's image. Jesus died for you. And he didn't just die to give you salvation, but he died to help you through the rest of your life. I don't know if perhaps you've, you've been hiding things or afraid or ashamed of some things, but Jesus will show his strength in and through your weakness if you bring it to him. And then on the other side of that, he'll use that in your story of hope to the world that's around you because you're not the only one that's battling certain things. There's others that are watching you and when they see that Jesus is shining through you, they're gonna go, what? I want what he has. I want what she has. That's when the light shines and gives hope to the world around us. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? As you're standing, we're going to worship in a moment together and take what I've just preached to the Lord. But I want to give an opportunity. Perhaps you're here today. You say, Pastor Nate, I don't have, I don't have that light shining in me. I know I need Jesus, but I've kind of been running my own life. I've been living in a form of darkness. Maybe you once walked with the Lord and you walked away from him. But today, God, by his spirit, is calling you home and calling you back. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to do it right now. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you talk to God, just between you and him, where he takes your sin and washes it away. And then he gives you hope and a future. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Nate, no one's looking around, but hey, I need Jesus. That's you. You say, I need Jesus. Just put your hand up wherever you are. Say, that's me. I need I need to come back or I need to give my life to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, several. There's several in the previous services as well. We've been receiving word online of people giving their life to Christ today. Yeah. So if you need to come back to Jesus or give your life to him, I want to lead you in this prayer. You just repeat these words, but mean it from your heart as you talk to the Lord and everyone else you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth, you died on the cross for my sin, and then you rose from the dead 
and I know you're alive. Today, I surrender to you. I ask you to let your light shine in my life. Forgive me of my sin and make me new. I'm yours for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise in the house. Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to sing here in a, in a moment, but before I do, I just want to challenge those of you that gave your life to Christ or prayed that prayer. I want you to take that next step of keeping the light in your story. And if you can take your phone out, I want to send you a quick link on how to do that. Just text the word Emmanuel to 313131. I'd love to send that to you right now. One more time, give it up for those that gave their life to Jesus today. Amen. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.